this morning formed by prayer and the practice of the presence of God, but mostly going to be talking about prayer. This is our series, a formation series. We're talking about different spiritual practices, our spiritual disciplines. They're experiential. They're the things that form us, that mold us. The objective of God is to look at each one of his precious children and then begin a journey with them or continue a journey with them, whether we're conscious of it or not. Hopefully we'll be conscious of it, more and more conscious of it, toward the image of Christ. So to be formed into the image of Christ, that's the goal. I want to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus, care like Jesus, love like Jesus, hope like Jesus, live like Jesus. And one of those spiritual practices, one of those spiritual disciplines is prayer. It's a little bit weird for some of us to think of prayer as a spiritual practice, prayer as a spiritual discipline. There is a difference between a transactional experience and a formational experience. Hold on to that thought. The difference between a transactional experience and a formational experience. In a transaction, a payment is presented and a response is owed and therefore expected. Something is presented here, I put it down on the table, I expect to be able to take something up from the table, and that's a transaction. It's an incomplete transaction if one or the other of those things does not happen. That's a transaction. A formation, a formational experience is when an encounter happens and a heart is changed. It's different than a transactional experience. I put something down, I pick something up. That's transactional. I see or experience something and internally my heart is formed, my heart is changed. That's a formational experience. Let me give you an illustration of that. I was about 12 years old, and I believe my family was in Alameda. We lived in Santa Clara. That's where I grew up. We came up to Alameda to see my great-grandmother, my great-Portuguese grandmother. For her, the word children was pronounced churn. You never wanted to ask great-grandma to pray. She was a devout Baptist and uh, more importantly, a devout Christian. But when she prayed, she prayed for all 3,000 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And it might have been hot roast beef when she started to pray, but it was a cold dinner by the time she finished. (laughs) And I remember her frail and so loving. We came up to visit her, but we were leaving her house and we went out to dinner over there someplace, like a Denny's type restaurant. I don't really remember which one it was, but there's something I do remember. I remember, I still have the picture in my mind, and when I see the picture in my mind, I still feel something in my heart. We sat down to eat, order our, ordered our food, and waiter brought, our waitress brought our food, and then after we had eaten, we're talking about whatever we're talking about, and the busboy comes, never raised his eyes to us, never looked at us, never said a word, did nothing but work constantly and pretty diligently. And I noticed this kid. My family was off talking. I stopped and I was noticing this young man working at this restaurant. And I noticed, oh, he sure works hard. I wonder what his life is like. 
I was cursed with those kinds of questions when I was younger. And then I started looking at the way he was dressed, and I noticed his pants. Like, his, his pants don't fit him. Those are pants are three sizes too big. And he had a frayed old belt that he had drawn down to the very, very last hole. In fact, it looked like it might have been a hole that he made himself because there weren't enough of them to draw down to keep his pants up. And the end kind of flopped over, the end of the belt. And I started to feel something inside. Man, that guy, he's sure a hard worker. And he doesn't even get to have pants that fit him. And then the thing that struck me was I looked down and I saw his shoes. And his shoes were about three sizes too big for him. And they were so worn out, they were, they were well used, let's put it that way. But well shined. Shoes too big for him, obviously. You know what happens, you draw the, you, you go to tie them and the, and the shoe just closes up and it can't close up enough, just barely stays on your, on your foot. And he tied them perfectly, tied laces, shiny, shiny shoes. You have that picture of the shoes up here, Jim? Is it? Uh, worn out shoes. They were the best he had. And he shined them up. And I remember thinking things like, ah, how humble. Look at how hard he works. And he's quiet. And I have so much. And he has so little. And there's just something wrong with the inequity. And I didn't understand the political ramifications or questions or even the theological ones. I just knew in my heart, this isn't right. And I kind of need to be more like him and less like me. I remember that as a 12-year-old. I still remember that as a 12-year-old. And as a 62-year-old, I still feel now what I felt back then. Something happened in my heart that shaped it forever. And I track that. You know, you ever think, now where did this come from and where did this come from and these emotions you have and feelings? I've been for the underdog ever since. I could have gone to Bellarmine, I went to Mitty. Now I believe that guys that go to Bellarmine are guys that couldn't get into Mitty. Or <coughs> Brad? They're rival schools in San Jose. Always the underdog. Here's the picture. What we experienced at the table was a transactional experience. We ordered bacon and eggs, we got bacon and eggs, we paid for bacon and eggs, we paid for our food, we got our food. We ordered our food, we expected to get our food. If we ordered our food and that food didn't come, we would have known something was wrong and everybody in here, if they ordered food that didn't come, they'll get up and say, hey, what's the deal over here? We got here before those people and they got their food before us. That's a transactional, transactional, a formational experience. That's a different thing. A formational experience is like what happened when I saw those shoes and I still see those shoes. Our food was on our table and it was a commodity that was owed to us. The eye-opening human example of humility and the hard work that was displayed by a quiet busboy who never so much as raised his eyes to us 
That wasn't a commodity owed to us. That was a gift given. I don't know if my parents saw it, but to me. My eyes got moist. It was an unexpected gift that formed me. You see the difference between transaction and formation? So, what's that got to do with the topic of prayer? Well, it's a good illustration of prayer. Because too many of us see prayer as a transactional experience. And God offers us prayer as a formational experience. Too many of us see prayer something like this. Look here, God. I prayed in the name of Jesus. I followed all the structures. I've had enough faith, I think. Let's see the bacon and eggs on the table now. They got here after me and they got their prayer answered, their food before me. Let's go. I offer you something, a prayer of faith, and you owe something back to me in prayer. And when it does not happen on time, the way I want it to happen, if it ever happens at all, something's wrong with the service around here. Yeah? We see prayer as a transactional experience, and God scratching his perfect head saying, but, I, but prayer is a formational experience. Prayer, prayer's not going shopping. Prayer's like making love. Prayer's not demands and you order and you get what you order. It's romance. It's dance. It's to form you. Now, make no mistake, Scripture reminds us that the effect of prayer of a good and righteous person, uh, the faithful prayer of a good and righteous person is efficacious somehow. It, there's some correlation between us praying and God acting. But we don't know how all, those, how all those gears turn. We don't understand the mechanics of that correlation. We ask and we trust and we have faith and we expect God's going to do something and he wants us to pray, but let's not take that too far. It's not a transaction. It's a formational experience. And take as my biblical example the prayer that Jesus taught. The question in Matthew chapter 6 is this. <coughs> How do we pray? His disciples come to him, they say, Jesus, teach us to pray like John's disciples are teaching him to pray. And Jesus responds. He says, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this then. Here's how you should pray. In fact, let's stand together and read this together. This is the Lord's Prayer a formational experience. Let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. May God add his blessing to his holy and fully inspired word. Go ahead and take your seats.
So the prayer that Jesus endorses is a formational experience. And I want to just walk through five movements of that prayer. And then we're going to do, some, do a practicum around those movements. It forms us in these ways. Just remember what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. First way it forms us in that first line, it forms a heart of respect for God. Jesus intended that. He was aware of that. When we come and say, Holy Father, my heavenly Father, holy be your name. Respected be your name. Hallowed be your name. That's kind of like coming in, if coming into the house of a guest. Go, I go over to Pete's house and I say, Pete, hi. I knock on the door. He welcomes me in. I shake his hand and I say, blessed be this home. Blessed be your children. Peace be in this home. I'm offering him, offering him uh, a statement of honor and a statement of blessing, something that shows that there's, there's respect here. That's not just another dinner we're going to have together, another cup of coffee. And we come in and we start that prayer, Father in heaven, holy, recognized as holy be your name, because you deserve that. There's, there's an honor bestowed. There's an awe. One of my pet peeves is that I, oh, never mind, I won't say that. But there, there's someone truly worthy of the word awesome. God, and we say awesome, because it's full of awe, is your name. It, the prayer forms a heart of respect for God, which is sorely missing. And forget about folks outside the church, that is sorely missing among Christians. And it ought not be that way. There ought to be a little bit of, when, when you come into the presence of God, or, he, or you realize that the presence of God is always there and you're aware of it, there ought to be sort of a little bit of, oh, cool, my friend is here, and everybody duck, all at the same time. <laughs> oh, holy be your name. And a second thing, this prayer, formational experience, it, it, it informs our priorities. So it forms a heart of respect for God, but it informs our priorities. So honored and respected be your name. And then the next movement, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We could stay there the rest of the morning and go beyond. Why do we need to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, here's one reason, because it isn't always done on earth as it is in heaven. There's another theological lazy spot for the church. You have heard, maybe you have even said some version of this. Well, it must have been meant to be. I guess, I guess God needed this or needed... And we assume that everything that happens is the will of God. And let me tell you something at risk of being wrong and God will strike me down for it. But I don't think everything that happens is the will of God. I hope everything that happens is not the will of God. Because I don't think he meant to employ racism. I don't think he means to keep poverty going. I don't think he means for your relatives to die of terrible, terrible diseases or injustices to happen. Name it. I don't think those are the will of God. Justice is the will of God. Mercy is the will of God. Hope is the will of God. Love is the will of God. Forgiveness is the will of God. 
a bonded relationship between every single human being. And we were reminded in previous weeks that God doesn't love you more than he loves the person next to you. A, a bonded, a restored relationship with him that brings wholeness and satisfaction. That's the will of God. And one day, everything that God desires, everything that's on his agenda, everything that breaks his heart will be stopped and everything on his agenda for humankind will come to fruition. But this is not that day. Except he must look and say, ah, oh, but where my church is. My church is praying that the will of God, the agenda of God, the dream of God, for every child at Hamilton School, for every person in our neighborhood and in the world, where my church is, my dream has a chance. Because my people are praying things like, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, they are praying and having their, their heart's agenda formed by the prayer. And certainly they're praying your will be done and then going to discover it and practice it wherever they are, working hard to take care of, find answers to diseases that are destroying people. I was praying this prayer. I, I try, I, this is a prayer discipline for me, the Lord's Prayer. I was praying one day last week or the week before. I was talking with Ben about this, Pastor Ben on the way home from the, Santa Cruz yesterday, and he asked me a question. I said, yeah, here's my experience. I was praying one day, uh, forgive my sins, which I'm happy to have him do, as I forgive those who sin against me. And then I was going to go on to the next line, and the Holy Spirit punched me right in the nose. And it was like he said to me, don't you pray that prayer to me again until you actually do forgive. And I had uh, a person come to mind that I had huge resentment for, another pastor, another covenant pastor. So I don't want to hear you pray anymore. Forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me or trespass against me because I love that pastor and you haven't forgiven him. You have resentment for him. Who do you think you are, Greco? Like you're special and everybody else is second class to me? We pray... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And his assumption, his hope, his dream is. And so you're doing what you're praying and practicing it, right? Because it's not happening everywhere. But where my church is, maybe that can happen. It forms our priorities. Prayer forms and calls our hearts to humble dependence, which is where being truly human is found. Being dependent. We do need says, give us this day our daily bread. That's a hard one to make relevant for just about everybody in the room because we don't have to go searching every day for some lost potato from which we can boil soup to feed our family. We're not rooting around like wild boar in the forest trying to find something to use to feed our children. But we are still dependent. Like, what do I need today to really eat well, Lord? My needs aren't things that I have to use to put on my dinner plate. It's pretty well provided for, obviously. <laughs> but I'm starving for hope. I'm starving for kindness. I'm starving for vision, Lord, and for humility and for brokenness. 
I am starving to death from those things I need for the nourishment of my souls. Give me this day my daily bread and give it to all of us, our daily bread. Prayer is a formational experience. It forms and calls our hearts to humble dependence, forming us there. It acknowledges and calls out personal responsibility as well. And there's the illustration I gave you just a second ago. Forgive our trespasses or our debt or our, our, uh, those who sin- forgive our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And there is a heart that's formed in such a way that it will be inclined to forgive. You understand, right, Christ followers, that you are most like Jesus when you forgive. And you are profoundly like Jesus when your forgiveness is profound. Nothing easy about that. That's for grown-ups. But he calls us, our hearts are formed around this idea of personal responsibility. I was haunted by how easy it was for me to pray, forgive my sins, Lord, as I forgive those who sin against me. And then realize, I've held this resentment toward this pastor for years. Strong resentment that I stuffed and buried because, of course, it's not professionally sound to say you resent one of your colleagues, but I did. And I was wrong. It acknowledges, prayer does, and calls out our personal responsibility because it's a formational experience, not a transactional experience. In the fifth movement, Prayer recognizes God's power to deliver. Lead us not in temptation. That's not all that says. Don't get stuck there. God's going to lead me to temptation. There's the picture of uh, of Jesus in the desert, being led into the desert to be tempted. But he was also led in the desert, therefore, to be victorious. Because he was. I don't stop there. I look at the second half of that line. Lead us not into temptation. I pray it this way. But take me all the way through temptation to deliverance. Let's get some deliverance going on here, some change going on, some victory going on here, Lord. Deliverance. And that prayer forms my mind and my heart around the idea that as somebody, I don't remember where I heard it, but somebody put it yesterday, I think, to always remember that God bats last. He's got the last word. He'll swing the bat last. All the way to deliverance. Prayer forms us that way. These are not transactional ideas because there's nothing that we're really able to lay on the table that causes God to owe us something if he picks it up. The only thing we can lay on the table is our need and the best faith we can muster. That's what we lay on the table. Prayer is not a transaction, and it's time we stop treating it as one. Prayer is a pair of worn-out shoes on the feet of a humble, hard-working young man that forms us. Now, I said we we're going to do a little bit of practicing. 
Here's what I want you to do. Right before we come to the communion table, would you take a second and maybe one of these five movements struck you uh, more powerfully than the others. Prayer forms my heart of respect for God, informs my priorities, calls my heart to dependence, reminds me of a personal responsibility that I have, or affirms God's power to deliver. One of those probably stands out in your life more than the others right now. There is a prayer practice that's ancient called centering prayer. And this is an oversimplification of it, but here's how I practice it. I think of a field, uh, you know, in gr when you're planting your lawn, the best way to not have weeds in your lawn is to make sure there's no room for weeds to keep the grass healthy. So there's no room for weeds to grow. So filling the field with truth in life, like we would fill the field with grass, seed, and lawn so no weeds can grow. Centering prayer is a statement you might pick out of Scripture, Lord, forgive me the sinner. And you just keep repeating that with no gaps over and over and over again with awareness and a conscious awareness, but we fill our minds with that truth that centers us in on the Lord. Ancient practice. I want to encourage you to take one of those five lines, the one that's most relevant to you, and practice centering prayer with that line. So we're going to be silent for a couple of minutes. And if you realize I'm a bit too independent, then your centering prayer might be, God, fill my heart, form my heart with humble dependence. I depend upon you. I depend upon you. Lord, I depend upon you. And pray that centering prayer, whichever one is yours. Take a minute or so to do that right now in silence and be formed. We've also been offering homework every week, and we have homework this week. I'm going to dismiss you with it in mind. Here's your homework. Would you consider... No, don't consider. I command you in the name of Jesus to do this homework. None of this my dog ate it stuff. Launch and land for one week. Launch and land every day by reciting the Lord's Prayer. Just a simple one-minute version of the Lord's Prayer. Launch your day. When your eyes open, before you reach for your cell phone, let that be a reminder. Oh, I'm not picking up my cell phone. I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. If it goes beyond the Lord's Prayer, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. Pray that. And then land your day there. Before you fall asleep, after you get in bed, pray it again. And let's experiment together with letting it form our hearts. Launch it and land it with the Lord's Prayer. That's your homework for one week. Now, may we, in fact, be a church that enters into prayer and is formed by it. The Lord meets you there, breathes life into you there.
Let him lead you through your prayer life and form you through the conversations you have with him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.